You know, sometimes through Christian experience, you realize that some of the language needs to be understood in a certain light. I was just musing on that second part of the second verse. Not a doubt, nor a fear, not a sigh, nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. And there are those occasions where we have, we have tears that do abide, and they're not because we're in rebellion. It's just the circumstances that we're in. And we, we do have a, a tearful countenance, but not in rebellion. We're still trusting, we're still obeying, even though we're tearful. Psalm 11, Psalm 11. And just a reminder, there's still some calendars available. Uh, if uh, you have not yet picked one up or you have others that you can distribute them to, maybe some seniors in your neighborhood, and they don't maybe get the same access to calendars that they used to, but they still use them as they maybe have done for years, then please take them and give them out as many as you are able. Psalm 11. I just want to make a few, leave a few thoughts with you here from this psalm before we depart from the house of God today. Psalm 11. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In the Lord... Put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, They make ready their arrow upon the string, That they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, What can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple, The Lord's throne is in heaven, His eyes behold, His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. Amen. The Lord bless his word. Let's pray. Let's again seek the Lord. God, we've had, as we've said and acknowledged already, we've had a good day. We are encouraged, and yet we know that as soon as we leave the house of God, there will be many distractions, many attempts by Satan to discourage, many arguments even arising from our own hearts that would call us to give up, to forget the things we've sought Thee for, and to not just press in and keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. So I pray for spiritual resilience in the hearts of all Thy people. I pray for grace that they may continue to abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, approving things that are excellent. I ask, O God, that Thy favor would be upon Thy people. Please, O God, give Thy heavenly benediction upon our lives that we might be filled with all the fullness of God and walk in Thy ways. Bless 
our thoughts from thy word tonight. Give thy word with power. May it be appropriate to those assembled and extend thy kingdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalm that we have read tonight is, as is the case for many of the psalms, not exactly clear on the background and what was driving the psalmist, in this case David, to write what he pens here. We don't know the circumstances, and sometimes that blinds us to why it is that he writes what he does. But evidently, he's experiencing an occasion in which he is under pressure and there are attacks upon him. Probably during the administration of Saul's reign, maybe during the time of Absalom's rebellion, but whatever the case, understanding the flow of the psalm is crucial. There's language in this psalm that if we are not careful, we will misapply, misunderstand what is going on here. And so, without taking any more time, I want to look at this psalm with you, and I want to try and break it down for you so you understand the flow and can take away what we ought to take away, at least in part, from this psalm. And so, I titled the, I titled the message very simply, Are You Listening to the Right Voices? Are you listening to the right voices? Because you're going to leave here, as you do every Lord's Day, go into the world and listen to other voices. You're going to hear other voices, the voices of those that you work with, the voices of those that you follow, whether mainstream media or the various podcasts or whatever influences you, the newspapers you read, whatever, all all sorts of voices. So I'm asking the question, looking at this psalm, are you listening to the right voices? And I hope we all will be and be encouraged to do so as we consider this psalm together. Note with me, first of all, the believing man's confession. The believing man's confession. The psalm begins with a statement by David in verse 1. In the Lord put I my trust. So he's making a declaration here. Here's where my trust is. Here's where my hope lies. It is a statement of his faith. It is a testament to a calm demeanor in a time of turmoil. We'll see that more as we progress. But I want you to understand that there are these attacks. There's something going on. There's a whole background that would cause distress in the soul. And David is not panicking amidst the turmoil. He begins with a statement, In the Lord put I my trust. If you take nothing else away tonight, beloved, take that away. When faced with uncertainty, when faced with challenges, when faced with difficulty, pronounce, state, declare, reaffirm your allegiance to your God. In the Lord put I my trust. In the Lord put I my trust. I can see this looming before me. In the Lord put I my trust. Again, there are all sorts of voices that arise at every turn of events. Some of them are external, some of them are internal, and many of them will challenge such a bold statement. In the Lord put I my trust. Ah, but, but, (laughs) that's fine, that's fine, but don't you see what's going on? So I ask you, child of God, are you willing to trust God when Satan discourages you? He will, and he does. He discourages you. He is the accuser of the brethren. 
What a description. What a way of describing the devil. He is an accuser or the accuser of the brethren. So, someone was praying earlier about their preacher and praying that God would preserve me because Satan has his his target upon me and praying that the Lord would preserve and so on and Christ praying for me and all that. And that's true. It's true. But it doesn't just stop with me. It's not like I'm standing taking all of Satan's attacks and he, he can't get through to you when he's attacking me. He has his, his targets on you as well. But are you willing to trust God when Satan discourages, when he brings his voices, when he presents his attacks? In the Lord put I my trust, Satan. Are you willing to trust God when sinners mock you? When they mock you. When you're going through your difficulty and they start saying things and you're countering with with Christian language, with language of your faith and your belief and your trust in God and they, they mock that. Or other occasions, whatever the scenario, but, but sinners, unbelievers are mocking you. Oh, that's, that's, that's foolish. I heard you were offered that, that position, that they're wanting to promote you to, to this place in your employment. And you say, yes, but I've declined. And they're like, what? <laughs> why, why would you decline? Well, it's going to require things of me that I can't do as a Christian. And they mock you don't understand. Why would you do that? This is a dream come true. This is an opportunity of a lifetime. And they don't understand. And you say, in the Lord put I my trust. Well, especially when those opportunities come at a time when you could do with some extra to help. And you're being tested. Are you willing to trust God when superiors threaten you? It could be your boss. could be scenarios when it's government and so on in different contexts. Not so much in our day here, largely. But the day may come. Are you willing in the face of the threat of superiors, those that are over you, those that have power to radically alter your life by firing you or demoting you or imprisoning you or fining you or whatever. Are you willing to trust God when threatened? Are you willing to trust God when saints disagree with you? And you're faced with this and you believe this is the will of God and you're, you're dealing with this matter and they're coming with, with other opinions. They're coming to you with suggestions. And it would seem to your discernment, as best as you can evaluate, that if you take that path, that's a path of compromise. In one sense, you may see it as a pragmatic choice. I mean, they see it that way. I remember a matter in my own life in which I was wrestling with the will of God and... and, uh, a man had said to me years ago, with regard to ministry, he said, 
maximize your usefulness. It's kind of a motto or a mantra for ministry, maximize your usefulness. In fact, the time he said it to me, <laughs> I was talking to him, and I had yet to go into like college and study, and he, I was saying, I said something about, oh, I, I just, I, I don't look forward to like learning Greek and Hebrew and memorizing all of that. I, I don't look forward to that. And he was arguing, you know, for the benefit of it. And in the midst of that, he said, maximize your usefulness. It will help you. It will be good for you to know this. Maximize your usefulness. Well, I can agree with that. I could say, yes, there's, there's wisdom there. But if, as, as a, as a, to make that an undergirding kind of principle of life that governs everything because there are other occasions in which the same advice would be bad advice. Because you might have something you say, well, well you start evaluating about human assessment and whether it's more money or, or greater influence or what, whatever, whatever category, categories could be thought of, you're looking at it that way. And if you say, maximize your influence, if that is the governing rule, you'll not seek God. You'll just evaluate it by a list of pros and cons. You won't pray. You'll just say, this is what I can do. So the believing man's confession is stated here. No matter what's going on in the Lord, put I my trust. But secondly, the blind man's complaint. The blind man's complaint as David faced his difficulties, and he makes this statement, I'm trusting the Lord, the flow then moves into the words of his, his friends or counselors or people in his life. And he, he remarks then, how say ye to my soul? Here's what you're saying. Here's the advice I'm hearing. Flee as a bird to your mountain, David. Flee for your life. Verse 2. Lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. This is, this is what they're saying. They're, they're evaluating the circumstances. The wicked are bending their bow. They're, they're trying to shoot at you. And then they say, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If things are so undermined, there's nothing you can do, David. So, so his counselors are saying what you find here in the latter part of verse 1 through verse 3. This is their advice. Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher, he, he said on this psalm, When Satan cannot overthrow us by presumption, how craftily will he seek to ruin us by distrust? He will employ our dearest friends to argue us out of our confidence. And he will use such plausible logic that unless we once for all assert our immovable trust in Jehovah, he will make us like the timid bird which flies to the mountain whenever danger presents itself. End quote. So, here's the advice. This is the advice that he's getting. David, run. Run. Run away. People are after you. They're trying to kill you. And what are you trying to salvage? What are you trying to salvage? I mean, the foundations have been destroyed. What can be done about it? 
Now, if this is during Saul's reign, as it most likely is, you can think about Saul's influence upon the nation. Did he destroy the foundations? Yes, he did. When you're talking earlier about you know breaking the first table of the law, I mean he he did this. He 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 refuses to kill Amalek in the way that God required, and he he lies about it. He twists it. In First Samuel 15, Samuel has to say rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Those are great sins. Rebellion is as witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. These are, these are first table issues. His sin is manifest, manifesting itself in a way of, of witchcraft, a complete distortion of, of worship and how God should be worshipped, and, and by idolatry. He tries to kill David with a javelin. He slaughtered the priests of Nob. He slaughtered the Gibeonites, almost wiped them out, those that were in covenant with the ancient people of God and were meant to be protected from the days of Joshua. And he nearly wipes them out entirely. I mean, these are, these are heinous crimes. These are, these are mass slaughters of people. Not to mention rash vows, like the time when he kept his soldiers from eating, lies and seeking out the witch of Endor. I mean, he cast aside the law of God. The foundations were destroyed. That's the evaluation. That's what the friends of David are saying. They're saying the foundations are destroyed. And when they get this bad, David, what can be done about it? What can be done? Nothing. So again, Spurgeon says that it was, quote, correct that the very foundations of law and justice were destroyed under Saul's unrighteous government. Well, draw a parallel. We live in such times. Undermining God's law. Of course. As I've said to you, even the church is doing this. The church. Never mind the political leaders. And the political leaders have gotten their... They've been permitted by the church to carry on and disregard the law of God. Casting aside the Ten Commandments. Removing it. And you think of Romans 13. Just think of Romans. This is what I don't understand when people say, you know, that we don't need the law of God. We don't need the commandments. Throw that aside. I say, okay, okay. (laughs) Right. So what are our our leaders meant to govern us with and by? And what's meant to help them understand their duty to us? Because we're told in Romans 13 that rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. They're not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Now, when you read that, you have to be asking the question, how do you define good and evil? Who says what's good? Our current government tells us that what is good is for people to say that they are what they're not. I don't want to go down that path. That's not my intention. But you know where I could go with that and the confusion that exists. And this is meant to be good. This is, this is good. By, by How? How do you determine that? 
And of course, if, the, if, if we are saying, no, that's not good, that's bad, how are they to determine that? How do you know what's right and wrong unless you have a standard, a measurement, an eternal law? Your God says, this is what's right and wrong. This is what's good and this is what's evil. And we, we are so offended. I, I was just reading over this and preparing and thinking about uh, the Alabama judge, Roy Moore. I mean, I don't know a lot about him. All I know is that on a number of occasions, Roy Moore tried to put the Ten Commandments in a public place. He tried to hang them in his court, and then he tried to, when he was, uh, what was his place? I can't remember now. But he, he tried to make that monument as well, and put it in a public place at the Rotunda there in Alabama. And, 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 <laughs> and people, every time, he couldn't just do that and leave it. People were in uproar. They were offended. These, these words, these words were, 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 were causing this emotional response of anger and indignation. How dare he? Now, I'm not advocating for Roy Moore. I don't know much about the man. I'm just thinking about the, the, the visceral response to the law of God put in a public place. And yet we want law and order. By what standard? Who gets to say? Well, this is the foundations that have been destroyed. And so they have been today. And, and we can see it. And, you know, you, you follow your various conservative news outlets. And I'm sure you keep track of various individuals. And, you know, when, when you look at the words that were said to David, flee as a bird to your mountain. Well, maybe they don't say that. But they'll say the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string. They have, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? There is that kind of doom and gloom language today, isn't there? Well, that's what David faced. Doom and gloom language in the midst of what he was facing. Beloved, remember, conservatism is a very bad religion, right? It's not going to save anyone. It's not going to save anyone. And so when you see all that's going on and all the media outlets, whatever, that's what I'm asking the question. What voices do you listen to? Because David had all these voices. And I think some of them, maybe most of them, meant well. David, there's no point. Why are you staying around? I mean, he's throwing javelins at you. (laughs) I mean, he clearly doesn't like you. Why are you staying here? Go, flee, run. The foundations are destroyed. There's nothing that can be recovered. You know, you know that. When the, once the foundations are gone, almost that's it. You know, you destroy the foundations, the likelihood is the building probably should just come down. So that brings us finally then, the believing man's confidence. The believing man's confidence. From verse 4 through to the end. I'm not going to spend any time here. I'm just going to summarize each verse for you. Verse 4, here's his confidence. This is what your confidence is meant to be. In the midst of a world where it feels like the foundations are destroyed and nothing can be done about it. Well, you just spent a day in prayer. That was a profitable time. But here are things you can take to heart just from the psalm so you can be confident. First of all, the Lord sees. Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. 
The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord sees. So with all that's being said and all that's being done, whether in public or in private, all the conniving, all the agreeing, all the shaking of hands, all the plans and plots and all of it, all of it that you hear about and maybe some investigative journalist releases and say, here's what's really going on and you get mad and you get crazy. You think, I can't believe this is going on. And you get all these voices and they're tearing you. You're tearing you from one place to the other, from one side to the other, from, <laughs> from, from one degree of madness to another. Well, these kind of voices were in David's life. And here, here's, here's, here's where the believing man, the man who says, In the Lord put I my trust. Here's what I know about the Lord. He sees it. He sees it. The Lord is in his holy temple. He's in a palace. And his throne is in heaven. And he sees the children of men. Also the Lord tests. Verse 5. The Lord trieth the righteous. But the wicked and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. So he sees those that are righteous. And yes, he tries them and he, he tests them to see that they're righteous. He, he sees, he tests them so that they're determined to be righteous. And the wicked, under their testing, under his eye, and watch, what does he see? He sees that which he hates. Him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Loveth violence. I mean, that doesn't mean that he's necessarily a war. You know, a soldier going out to war doesn't mean to say that's someone who loves violence. I mean, there's all sorts of ways of loving violence and, and you know, making agreements that, d- that demoralize the nation, that destroy communities and, and men that seemingly appear all upright and clean-cut. They love violence by some of the things that they do. And the Lord tests. They can't avoid the test of God and the fact that He hates them. Also the Lord judges. Verse 6. Upon the wicked He shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Yes, He will judge. Sodom and Gomorrah will have her time. She sits there in a nice and and prosperous environment, doesn't she? There in the plains, like Egypt. But the Lord will judge them. And all that's going on today, all that you see, the Lord's going to judge them. Not one of them's going to escape it. They're not going to be able to avoid that, that appointment. Oh, you know the way they do. <laughs> you know the way that, you know, there's a certain thing that should be voted on. And you start looking to see who was there and who was absent. And you start asking yourself, why on earth were they absent? Conveniently absent. Well, they won't be absent on that day. Yes, so the believing man who can say in the Lord put I my trust, he, he, he sees God. He's not looking at the circumstances. He's not, 
considering the fact that everyone appears to believe that the foundations are destroyed, the righteous can't do anything. (laughs) What can the righteous do anyway? What could they ever do? It is the Lord, the Lord who sees, the Lord who tests, the Lord who judges, and finally the Lord who saves. Verse 7, the righteous Lord loveth righteousness, his countenance doth behold the upright. This is a language, this salvific language. The righteous Lord loveth righteousness, and his countenance doth behold the upright. Why are they upright? He's made them upright. He's done a work in their hearts. He has changed them. He has pulled them out of wickedness and given them a new heart and new affections. So, you go out of here, and beloved, stop filling your vision with all the scary things that are going on, and stop listening to all the voices of doom and gloom, and get your eye on your God. And the Lord put I my trust. Did you see? Did you see that released by Project Veritas? Yes, I may have thought, but in the Lord put I my trust. They do whatever they want. They can, whatever they're going to do, they will do, but there is an ultimate judge. And the one that we trust in sees, tests, judges, and he saves. And he has saved you. And you may ask then, well, we have no power here against what we're facing in our society. And I would agree. Looking at it from a position of power gives us an out because if you start measuring our power against their power, you know, the the righteous against the wicked, you start measuring power. What can we do? What can the righteous do? You look at it and you say, well, we we can't. We can't match firepower with firepower. We can't do it. So then we get to sit back and do nothing. So here, I want you to reframe it. As you go out into the world, And this is my closing thought. As you head out of here, prayerful and desirous to see the kingdom of Christ advance, how can you practically actually see that occur? Stop thinking about it in terms of power and start thinking about it in terms of influence. Can I influence one person? Can I? Can I take a person out for coffee and influence them? Ask them how they're getting on? See where they're going on with the Lord? Talk to them about their soul? Encourage them? I I know they're distressed or discouraged, but can I influence? If everyone just saw that you have multiple opportunities of influence... Stop thinking about a power. You don't have their power. But influence. You have influence. You have people that you have inroads into. People that you can speak to that maybe few others can have such an influence upon. And that door is open at any time. When you contact them and reach out to them and you ask them over to your home for lunch, for dinner, go out for coffee, whatever, whatever. It's just influence. Influence. If we all just hone in on who is in my sphere of influence. And just do that. 
That's the resistance. That's the resistance. For David, he didn't want. If he, if he runs, then everyone else who's righteous will run. He knows this is the man that they, 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 they sang songs about me. And I wasn't looking for, I wasn't interested, but the, the God has given him influence. He doesn't have the power of Saul, but he has influence. And if he's cowardly and fearful and he absconds that influence, that will be detrimental. So he doesn't. Keeps his eye on the Lord. In the Lord put I my trust. And even if some think the foundations are destroyed, the Lord sees it all. Let me just keep going on with the Lord as an example to everyone and helping them along the way. The cause is not in vain. The cause is not in vain. Saul will have his day. The Lord sees everything. Keep trusting. Believer, keep trusting. Keep influencing. If you can influence six people a year, do it. Go after it. Encourage. Be part of the resistance against the voices that bring doom and gloom and cause the hearts of the people of God to faint. May the Lord help you. May He help me. Let's bow together in prayer. Let me once more thank you for your support today. If you weren't here, I'd be here anyway. But it does, it really does put strength and steel into us when others are around us. When we can enter into their prayers and hear their voices and learn their cries. So thank you. We had a good time today. The Lord helped us. And so thank you for being part of that. Now go out and influence whatever way you can. And pray for the fullness of the Spirit. Who knows what God may do with your life. Lord, help us. Deliver us from the from the, the empty thoughts of big ideas that we could never fulfill. And give us a vision for the doors of influence that present themselves in our lives. We pray for grace to be an encourager and especially to strengthen people in prayer and fill their hearts with hope. Grant that each one of us may know how to speak a word in season to them that are weary, that we may influence them. So may the Spirit of God rest upon thy church. 
upon this church. May we be empowered this week. We thank Thee for helping us today. We thank Thee for grace to pray. May we keep on and may answers be on the horizon. May we see the cloud the size of a man's hand. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all Thy people now and evermore. Amen.